Well, before you're seated, before you're seated, I want you to turn to somebody. I want you to tell them you are awesome. All right? All right. You are awesome. All right. Now, I want you. Don't get arrogant. Just, just tell them. All right. Don't let them get the big head. All right. Now, I want you to tell them. Before you're seated, I want you to tell somebody else. Now, you may not know there's somebody else, but you turn to them and tell them, I am awesome. All right. Go ahead and tell them. Could be a complete stranger. I am awesome. All right. And then you can say, if you don't believe me, ask the person right here. They just told me that. All right. You can be seated. You know, the whole concept of who you are is vitally important. In fact, here's a life principle for you right out of the chute today. It's impossible to be who you are if you don't know who you are. Now, that that sounds a little crazy, but it's really true. It's impossible for you to be everything that you are, who you are, unless you know who you are. You're just merely meandering through life and trying to figure life out. And you may be selling yourself way short. You may be thinking a little highly of yourself, more than you ought. Understanding who you are in Christ, who you are in life, who you are as God intended you to be is is absolutely a life principle for all of us to really kind of grasp a hold of and begin to explore who it is. When you talk about rediscovering hope, there is no doubt with what the things we've talked about, circumstantial or core issues of, of hope, this is one of those that's going to be at the top. Because I think a lot of us really struggle with this, even though we may not realize we're struggling with it, just the whole identity, who am I, what am I on this earth for, does it really matter? Now, there are some Christians out there that just say, oh, this is about self-worth and really, you know, that's all secular humanism and and it's all about self, self, self. And, you know, I know that there are those who go that track, but you've got to realize that that is not what self-worth is. It's not some some secular humanism. Self-worth is understanding that I was created in the very image of God, that God breathed into me life. He didn't do that to any other creature, any other being, organic or inorganic, all right? He did that for you and for me. So the very fact that I'm in His image, He breathed into me the breath of life, says something that I'm a little bit unique, okay? I'm a little bit special in the whole process, all right? Well, so understanding who I am is going to be vitally important and appreciating the value of that, vitally important to really becoming who I am should become. Now you do have the other side of that. You do have the side where you become little God juniors and that really you're just God. And there isn't a God and you're the sovereign one of the universe and it all revolves around you and, and all, there, there's, there's two year olds out there who think it all revolves around them. And so think about that for a moment. I mean that's just a natural tendency in, inside of us. So it's somehow reaching into life and figuring out that balance because if we don't, we will start finding substitutes It's not about me. I mean, that's the first words in Rick Warren's best-selling book, uh, Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. But I have to say this, neither is it not not about you. It's not about you, but neither is it not not about you. It absolutely pertains to you. Life pertains to you. This world pertains to you. You have a vital role in it. And it's figuring out your role in it without promoting yourself to God and at the same time not demeaning yourself. I don't know if you know that this past week is the darkest week in 
Western world. Uh, in the sense that on an annual basis, the last Monday of every January is considered Blue Monday. There are more people uh, on any particular day that uh, go into depression, that seek counseling, even commit suicide on this day. You know why? Because Christmas is over, the holidays are over, but yet the expenses are still there. They're now getting their credit card statements. The weather is cold. It's dark outside. It's very depressing for many people to be locked up in their house and get cabin fever and not know where to go from there. Some of them have already given up on their New Year's resolutions. I mean, they made New Year's resolutions to lose weight, to go to the gym, uh, or to, to get financially fit or whatever else, but they've already given up on that. And so they have all of these things compounding into their life, and they call it Blue Monday. It's actually, it was a psychologist out of England that came up with that, with that phrase. It's interesting to think that so many of us tie our value to our stuff, to our jobs, to our titles and position. And I even read one time where one company was not able to give increases that year, so they gave title increases. They just increased your title. You, instead of being vice president, now you're executive vice president. Instead of you know, being executive vice president, now you're senior executive vice president. And so they gave titles. Again, what was that doing? Try to help your self-worth. Try to understand that you're valuable. Sometimes we uh, so much associate it with things that in one day we might lose. We might associate our value and our worth to things that really don't matter. And at the end, it becomes quite a struggle and quite a complex part of life. We might even feel like Shakespeare and Macbeth whenever he made this statement. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. Sounds pretty depressing. Listen to this. And then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Is your life a tale of an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing? If you really kind of assess your life and that's kind of what it is, then I would have to say today you need to rediscover hope in your purpose, hope in your meaning. Dr. Moorhead from Northeastern Illinois University wrote 250 of the best-known minds, thinkers, philosophies, professors in, in the country. And he put it in, his finding into a, into a, in a book, but this is what the, the title of it is. It's on the screen, The Meaning of Life. He asked these 250 great minds, and I quote unquote around great minds, about what it means to be about life. What is the meaning of life? And the, many of the responses that he got back were pretty amazing. Some waxed on and gave their own philosophy on what life was, but many of them at the end of it put a disclaimer, I think, or I hope, or this is what I'm living for. Some of them wrote back and even said, we don't know what the meaning of life is, but when you write your book and you find out what the meaning of life is, would you please send us a copy? People struggle with what is life all about. Yet we were made in the image of God. Yet God breathed into us the breath of life. How is it that God puts such value on us, but yet we struggle with what it's all about? Trying to figure it all out. Why on earth are we even breathing? Jeremiah was a man who understood. Be finding the book of Jeremiah. It's going to be an Old Testament book. You're going to find it in the latter two-thirds, three-thirds, uh, excuse me, three-thirds, two-thirds of the, of the, of the uh, book of the Old Testament. 
You'll find the Old Testament prophets and find Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a man who lived over a span of 40 plus years who lived out his purpose. Now he had a real unique encounter with God when he was yet a, a teenager and was God very clearly spoke into his life and said, this is your purpose. Now I think as we look, if we can look into the life of Jeremiah and if we can say maybe assume upon the fact that maybe if God had a plan and a purpose for a man many, many hundreds and thousands of years ago, then maybe, just maybe, he might have a plan for me. If we can go on that assumption today and just assume that if maybe God did the same thing he did for Jeremiah, if he would do the same thing for me or has done the same thing for me, if we can operate on that assumption, then I think we can learn a lot about our own purpose in life. Because the question I want to keep coming back to is, why are you breathing? Why am I breathing? Am I just taking up space? Am I a useless sack of human flesh? Is that all my life is? And then I'm going to breathe? Or, or as Shakespeare said, am I a, uh, told by an idiot, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing? Is that what my life is going to consist of when it's all said and done? I hope not. Because I think many of us do struggle at some point, maybe, maybe inside of our own skin, and we never let it out. But inside of our own skin, we wonder, why am I here? What's it all about? Where am I going? Will, will I ever get there? Will I know when I get there? If, if I ever get there. So that whole struggle inside and about what, what it's all about and why I'm breathing, because I think there's a lot of people my age and older still who are just chasing the wind. As Solomon did back when we were studying the book of Ecclesiastes, as Solomon just kept chasing the wind and finally he gives up. He says it's all vanity of vanities. I'm not trying to be depressing. No, I'm trying for us to go inside of ourselves and really help us to wrestle with the question of why am I breathing? What's it all about? Because I think if, if we could figure that part out, then we might be able to gain that purpose and perspective on life. Well, Jeremiah is that man who I want to kind of use as our, as our model today. He grew up in, in, in a little town northeast, about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. So if you might think of it today, it's kind of he lived in the suburbs. So he's a suburban child growing up just northeast of Jerusalem, and he is called out for some divine reason. He is called out to make a difference. But I have to say, I am glad I'm not Jeremiah. Even though I've studied Jeremiah quite a bit in my, in my, throughout the years, I look at Jeremiah and I say, thank God I didn't live in the times of Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was was called out to be a prophet. God said, this is what your mission is. This is what you're here for. This is why you're breathing, to be a prophet. Now, a prophet was not a popular position, especially a prophet that would speak truth so boldly. But he's, he, 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 there are about 23 different settings that take place throughout the book of, of Jeremiah. And, but he is, he is operating in a time, in a frame, in a reference, whenever he is following as a prophet the two most evil kings of Israel. These two evil kings, King Manasseh, one of them, and his son, were the most vile people and actually had driven the country into the ground and far away from God. And now God has called this young child, this teenager, called him out and said, I want you to be a prophet to these people. And for the next 40 plus years of his life, that's what he does. But then the sad thing is God says, you know what, you're going to talk to people and they're not going to listen to you. You're going to speak and they're going to reject you. But I want you to keep doing this. And he does it tirelessly. He does it faithfully. 
how is it that somebody could take on a task like that unless he knew there was some divine initiative in this? Let's look at this passage of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Verse 4, we'll start there. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, he's clearly identifying where this message comes from. Now verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God speaking to him. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God. Here's his response back to God. Behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. The Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched his mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Why are you breathing? I believe that there's three reasons why you still have life in you today. You might jot them down. They may be worth reflecting on. Number one reason is because there, you have a design, a divine design to fulfill. There's a divine design that you need to fulfill. God, throughout time, throughout eternity, throughout His creation of this world, throughout God, if you, don't, if you believe in the sovereignty of God and that God knows it all before it even happens, then you have to understand that God does not look at this world one day at a time, he sees the whole big picture. And somehow, some way, in all of his divinity, in all of his godness, he decided that Mike McDaniel fits here. Okay, you time it all out, you put it on this continuum, he, Mike McDaniel fits here. He fits here, he fits in northwest Arkansas, at this time, at this day, at this hour. And you do the same. There is a divine element in your life that you have got to recognize. There's a thumbprint of God that has got to, you've got to recognize on your life. Now, whether or not you're living out that divine design is a different story, but you've got to believe it. Because whenever Jeremiah gets this call from God, this divine appointment from God, God says, hey, I've been a part of this. I've got a plan for you. And the thing is, this is, oh, this is unique to Jeremiah? No, this is absolutely not unique. David also writes of the same. In fact, just follow along as I read these words. They're in your notes. It says, For you created my inmost being. Who did this? God did. Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me, saw my unformed body. Listen to this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I do not believe that just God gives us carte blanche life to live. I believe He's ordained every day of our life. He has a plan for your life today and He'll have a plan for your life tomorrow. He has an awesome plan for your life in the future. Is it going to be an easy plan? I didn't say that. I said it's going to be an awesome plan. 
Is it going to be your plan? I didn't say that. I said it's going to be an awesome plan. Is it going to be everything you always wanted it to be? I didn't say that. I said it's going to be a divine, awesome plan of God. Whether or not we live in that plan is a different thing. But he actually has a divine plan of which he put my personality, my talents, my gifts, my passions. He put my experiences in life. And he fit them all together. And he said, Mike, here it is. Live it out. Now I can go over here and do my own thing. But if I live out here, I'm living in the, I'm living in the zone. You know what I mean? I'm functioning in the zone of what God desired for me. How he knit me together. How he put me and placed me together. That's an awesome thing. Well, here Jeremiah gets this call from God. Now, look again at verse 5. Let's just break it down. Verse 5, and you might just underscore these words because they're pretty important in Scripture. He says, before I formed you in the womb. The word formed here is actually the Hebrew word yasar. It's a cousin word or a kin word to the Hebrew word bara, which bara was only used of God. God was the only one who had bara attached to its name, and this name is a very much a similar uh, kinship word to it. And what's the big deal about bara? Whenever God created, when God bara the earth, the heavens and the earth, God is the only entity, being, that can create something out of nothing. Think about it. Everything we have, we have because we have other things that we bring together. Talents, skills, products, chemistry, whatever it is that we bring together, we have it because we bring these different elements together. God is the only one who's able to create something out of nothing. That's bara. So what does it say here? He formed me. He took unique ingredients, unique only to me, and he put me together and he formed me. He says, I formed you in the womb. And he said, I knew you. Underscore the word knew. All these are verbs. Yada is the word here. It means of an intimate knowledge of a husband and wife knowing each other. God yadad me. He knows me. He knows me better than Lori knows me after 17 years. He knows me better than a couple who's been married for 50 years knows each other. And you think about that for a moment. You can anticipate your spouse's response many times. You can think it before they're thinking it. You know how it's, you know, it's exactly how God is with us. He formed us. He knows us. Keep going with me there. He says, and before... You were born, I consecrated you. Now that's a key one there. Because not only did He create us and form us and make us and shape us and knit us together, but then He actually knows us. He knows our personalities. He knows our interests. He knows our desires. He knows our heart. Even when we can fool everybody else, He knows us. But then after all of that, He could have stopped there and I would have said, God, you're awesome. But then He actually goes on and He says, I consecrated you. I made you for a task. I made you for a plan. I've got a dream, a desire, a vision for your life. That excites me. That gets me going. That gets my blood pumping. Because to think that I can get up in the morning and get on track with God, that I can actually be in the zone of where God created me to be, and I can be cooking at that point. Because I am following out His consecrated, set-apart plan for my life. Now notice this. He says, I consecrated you. When? Before you were born. Before you were born. Now, I may really rub some of you all the wrong way like a cat. You know, you rub a cat the wrong way. And, and just hang with me on this one. Because you can't come to this passage and not, I, I can't, and not say something about it. 
I'm sorry, but when you snuff a baby out of the womb, I don't care if it's early or late term or whenever and however you do it, you might just be stopping something big that God's going to do. Think about it. Okay, you don't care, Republican or Democrat, it's not that issue. A pro whatever, pro-choice, not that issue. It's talking about a divine, designed, implemented, planned, consecrated person. I think about it. Maybe the, the next Billy Graham has been snuffed out. Maybe, maybe the Einstein of the future, maybe the Angelo of the future has been... T- maybe the person who was supposed to create the cure for breast cancer or for AIDS. Just a thought. Chew on that one. It's not, this message is not about that one, but you can't, you can't just skip over this passage because he, he goes on, the last verb to underline, he says, I have appointed you prophet to the nations. You know, sometimes our life doesn't look all clean and nice and tidy. But God, when we are in in the track, no matter what we may face, no matter what life comes our way, when we are living in the zone, when we are doing according to His consecrated appointed plan for our life, oh my lands, I don't care what circumstances you may face, you can strive forward in God's design for your life. And it can be an awesome, sweet spot for you. I first heard Francis Chan uh, this past year at a Catalyst Conference in Atlanta, and I was very impressed by this man's passion and his zeal. And I want to bring you just about a two-minute clip of a message that he shares, just telling you about his life and about how throughout the trash and the rubbish of life, he's been able to get in the groove and see God's design. But it's taken great courage and great strength to do this. Listen to this, this section of the message. Growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me. And my dad remarried. Then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high. My mom's dead. My stepmom's dead. My dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight. And my uncle George shot and killed my aunt. And then stuck the gun to his own head. Killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to... Um, you know, just on and on and on, and you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God, I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%, um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what, I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven 
And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. Now, if... uh, Could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. That's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. How do you measure it? I hope you're one of those who's going to find God's design for your life. You may have to cut through a lot of mire and muck and trash and rubbish, but I hope that you will find out what God's designed for your life. Because that that life that He just modeled for us is the life that I don't think is the best Christian model out there. Which leads me to the second reason you're breathing. Alright, the first reason, you have a divine design. The second reason is because you need to rise to God's challenge. I don't know what that challenge is going to be for you. I don't know where He's going to rock your world. But if you're looking for easy street, that's not Christianity. If you're looking for the safe path, the the path of least resistance, you're not going to find it. In fact, you're going to find that if you really go with God, it's going to be quite difficult at times. And I'll even go so far as to step out and say this, that if you're living and looking for the easy life and you're not ruffling any feathers and you're really not making any dents in this world, then you're probably not living it to the fullest. You're living a half-lived life. Rise to the challenge that is set before us. Rise up to the challenge that He has set before us because it's out there. We have opportunity. Thomas Aquinas said it like this, if the primary aim of the captain were to preserve his ship, he would keep it in the port forever. Pretty good statement. If all it was is just to keep safe and stay safe and hang on to the balance beam to the end, then it would be safe. You know what? If we were playing it safe, Grace Point Church would have never started Six years ago when it was just 20 families on October 7th in 2001 and we were meeting at Reagan Elementary School and we said we're going to launch this church and we're going to make it happen, blah, 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 because this is what God wants us to do, it would have never started. Because most churches fail within the first year, like 70 to 80% of them fail in the first year, so odds are it are against us. We would have never built a ministry campus with 200 people building for 500 people, if we were going to take the safe, easy road. We're going to have to rise to the challenges. And I tell you, right now, I'm, I'm really, and if you've been around me at any length of time in recent days, deacons, I know I've talked with the, pa- the pastoral team, I've talked with those of y'all, just 
my heart's really heavy right now because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I never have known what tomorrow holds, but I really don't know what tomorrow holds. But I really believe that whatever it is, and wherever God's going to leave 500 plus people that we are now, it's going to be bigger than anything we've done before. And it's going to require more faith and more sacrifice and more commitment than anything we've ever done before. Because you know what? I am not, absolutely not interested in pastoring a safe church that just hugs onto the balance beam until the end. I'm not interested in that. And so I don't know what that will be, and I am in serious prayer about it right now. And you should be as well. What is the bigness out there of God? Because He is going to call us out. Jeremiah was called to impossible circumstances, impossible situations, guaranteed failure. God called him out. Helen Keller, deaf and blind. Can you imagine what an obstacle of life? Deaf and blind said this, It's not for us to pray for tasks equal to our powers, but for powers equal to our tasks. To go forward with great desire, forever beating at the door of our hearts as we travel toward a distant goal. But what keeps us? What keeps us from taking on the challenges that God may put in front of us? Number one, excuses. Boy, we have them. We can come up with more excuses than there are answers. (laughs) Unless you can just say, God said so. Go do it. Unless you can live in that, and live with that as your answer, then you're going to have more excuses of why not doing whatever it is that God may be calling you out to do. Look at verse 6. It says, Then I said, this is uh, Jeremiah responding back to God, Alas, Lord God, behold, I mean, great respect there. He, He calls him out with great respect. He says, Behold, I do not know how. Stop right there. Now, the next thing he says is his excuse. But what do we do many times with God when he calls us out to a challenge of life? We'll say this, I do not know how. I do not know how I'm going to have the money. I do not know how to speak. I do not know how to do that. I do not know what I'm going to do. I do not know. I do not know. I do not know. You just fill in the blank. Just fill it in. I do not know. And in that excuse, we live. And in that excuse, we stop. And in that excuse, we do not live out the reason that we are left with breath. And then we wonder when we get discouraged by God doesn't use us because when He came to us to use us, we said, I do not know. Fill in the blank. I do not know. Don't let that be an excuse in your life. When I was going through my undergraduate studies, one of the very first exegetical papers I ever did was on this passage right here. I studied this passage, detail, verb, every clause, phrase, everything I could study, every nuance, every angle I could look at it, wrote an entire paper on this one passage. Why? Because this passage was very key and instrumental in my life when I could give God all the excuses in the world of why He would not want me in the ministry. God, you know my rap sheet. God, you know my limited brain capabilities. God, you know this, and God, you know that, and God, I can't afford going to a private school. And and every excuse I could possibly come up with, I could give it to God. I come here. He says, Behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm just a child. I'm just a youth. I can't do this. 
Oh, we can come up with the excuses. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29 says, He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. He chooses those with the limitations so that He can get the glory. He chooses those with all the excuses. And so go ahead and develop your excuses, but then take those excuses and lay them before God and say, God, here are all the reasons why I can't do what you're asking me to do. Lay it before God and say, I can't, but you can. And so if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to overcome these challenges, but I'm going to step out in faith right now and start living for you. I'm going to start living the reason you've given me breath to live. The second reason that we stop to the challenges and don't rise to them is because of fear. Because of fear. Verse 8 says, do not be afraid of them. He was sending them like wolves among the sheep. I mean, or sheep among the wolves, excuse me. He was sending them out to be slaughtered. And the words out of God's mouth was, don't be afraid. Because fear comes right with excuses. Their heads and tails of the same coin. The what ifs, the buts, the questions of life that we can't answer, we don't have answers for, in many times stop us from living it out. You know, the Chinese Mandarin language is written in symbols. Symbols, pictures that represent different things. And when I was in China a few years ago, it was interesting to learn the male symbol, the female symbol, and the differences. And It's an interesting language. Very difficult to learn, but an interesting language nonetheless. Well, the interesting word for crisis is an interesting word because they take two symbols and they create one word out of two symbols to create crisis. And the two symbols that they bring together to create the one word crisis is danger and opportunity. They bring them together to create crisis. Listen, when we live on the edge, we rise to the challenges, we will face crises. It will be dangerous, but it will also be full of opportunity. Will we step up? Or will we continue to give excuses? Will we continue to let fear hinder us? An interesting thing, and I didn't originally plan on showing this to you, but it's, it's important. Because what was his excuse? He said his excuse was, I do not know how to speak. How does God respond to that? Verse 9, and the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched his mouth. See, we give the excuses to God and let Him give the answers. But we move out in faith. So why are we here breathing? Fulfill God's divine design. Why are we here breathing? To rise to God's challenges. Thirdly, and these may, may, may not be your list and it may not be a comprehensive list, but I certainly think that these are three definite reasons why I still have breath today. The third reason is to impact God's world. To make an impact... Notice that Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet to the nation and not to get rich. He was called by God to, to, to be a prophet to the nation and not live a life of ease. He was called by God to, to, to be a prophet to the nations so that whatever. He'd fill up his resume. He'd have a job title. Impressive. None of that. He lived a life called out to make an impact in this world. Verse 10 says, See, I have appointed you. Same word he used back up in verse 5. See, I have appointed you this day over where the nations, over the kingdoms, 
He's called him out in the, uh, after the, the, the two bad kings of King Manasseh and King Ammon. He's called him out and he, he calls a kid to do a man's job. Think about it. He calls a kid to do a man's job and while he's doing the man's job, he makes a man out of him. That's awesome. I'm something great for God. Make an impact on this world. Live and rise to God's challenges. Make an impact on God's world. And watch what He will do. He tells him what you're going to do. He says, you're going to pluck up. You're going to break down. You're going to destroy. You're going to overthrow. I mean, not exactly the funnest list of things to do. You're going to actually think about it for just a moment. Pluck up. Break down. Destroy. To overthrow. He's not going an easy path. He's not going to be taking a trail and go where everybody else has gone. He's going to blaze a path. He's going to be blazing a trail where nobody's gone before. The easiest thing to do when you're, when you're traveling out through this life is to take the path that has all the bushes and all the stickers and all the snakes are all out of the way. If you're traveling through Africa, key thing, stay on the path because you don't know what's out beyond the path. So stay on the path. It's safe on the path. You get off the path, you don't know what you're going to face. Maybe a puff adder there. Maybe a thorn bush there. Maybe something else there. Maybe African killer bees around the corner. So you stay right on track. That's the safe track. But he tells him he's going to pluck up. He's going to break down. He's going to destroy. He's going to overthrow. Andy Stanley said it like this. He says, Do not follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Think about that. I love that statement. I want to read it to you again. Do not follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path. You know what Paul the Apostle said? He says, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. What was he saying? He says, I don't want to go and duplicate the work that's already been being done. He says, I want to go and I want to be a trailblazer. I want to make a difference in this world. See, don't just leave footprints in the sand. Leave trails. When your life is finished, I hope that somebody can say, wow, Rob Horton went that way. And it was a clear path left by him. Because see, if you just go the path of everybody else's going, it's just going to be footprints. Yours on top of theirs and somebody else's on top of yours. But make a path as you go. I think about our church. And again, I think, God, that we're part of, part of a church like this because he also says you're going to build up and you're going to plant. You're going to tear this stuff down, but you're also going to build and you're going to plant. You're going to bring back life. I think about where our church has gone over the past few years and uh, around the world. I think in many ways blazing a path in some nations and some places, but probably, and I'll say this, no other place like we have done in Mali, been able to be a part of in Mali. And you just take us and you just transport us right now over African continent. As you look at the African continent, you'll look in West Africa and you'll find West Africa. You'll find the little country of Mali there. Not so little. But you want to know where it's at? It's where Timbuktu is. So when you think I'm going to Timbuktu, well, you're just about there when you get to Mali. Timbuktu's in Mali. We go, it's just an awesome thing. As we went, the first team went there a few years ago. Uh, Well, actually, if you think about it, you zoom on in a little bit more into, into Mali. Uh, you look at uh, Bamako is where we fly into, and then you go on even in a little bit further in, in the country as we, as we go in. We go to, uh, uh, you travel on this road to a place called Fana, then you get off the tarmac and you travel to a village called Kamabugu. And uh, it's fun saying Kamabugu. Uh, just saying it sounds fun. Uh, 
But as we started back there a few years ago, because it's like what, two years now, uh, a team went, and really they were just going, a team of four went to capture the people. And I think the people captured them. Because they came back, and the four ladies, go ahead and show that slide, guys, just hit each, as I hit a team, you hit a team. First team hit, and they went in, in September of 06, and they kind of capture, that's not the first team, but we'll keep going. Um, first team went, and they captured photos, and they, uh, they uh, went in, and, uh, uh, and the people captured them. And as they went into the uh, uh, take, taking photos, they ended up coming back and starting a, a prayer movement around the country. Churches in Florida, churches in uh, in North Carolina, in South Carolina, uh, St. Louis, places all over began to pray for the Bomber people. I'm thankful for that team going. But as they went, they were blazing a trail because nobody was praying. Hardly anybody was praying for the Bomber people. The second team went, and when they went. Uh, that was my, the team I went on, and, and it was the hardest trip I, I know that I've ever gone. Uh, it was the hardest work that we ever did. We, we helped, and I put, we built a Grace House, Grace Point House. They did the, a lot of the work, and we just kind of joined, joined in. And the great thing is, is your coffee shop money that you spent out there helped build the house. And so outfit the house and, and get it going, blazing another trail. Then a few months later in July of last year, Four other ladies went, and they, uh, they went, and they shared, and they loved, and the very first believers were baptized in Kamabugu. For the very first time ever that we know of in the history of this village, the first believers were born, and a church was born. Blazing another trail. Blazing a trail. Keep pushing it back. September, then, of this past year, Another group of ladies went. Now, guys, notice that the ladies that are going, okay? Again, that needs to be reversed. This is the first team. But the, you notice the ladies are going? And they're, okay, so quit whining, okay? No whiners allowed here, all right? The ladies are going. They're leading the way. They're leading the charge. And, and as they go, they continue their teaching and, and so forth. And it's awesome to have a team that just got back a few weeks ago. Team, would you go ahead and come on up here, those who just got back? I'm going to let you all tell us about what's happening in, uh, in Kamabugu now. All right, Donnie, tell us, I guess, maybe about how you shared your faith there. How did you engage the people? I know you all employed your own testimonies, just telling your own story. Tell us about that. Well, here we've got the Bible, and we've got PowerPoint, and we've got teachers that are studying the Bible. And when we're there, we've got the Bible still, and we've got what we know, but they don't have it. They can't read. They don't have a um, copy. There's one copy of the Scripture in the village, and there's one man there that can read it. But it's, it's not like the resources that we have here. And so we're there telling these stories, stories that we know by heart, but still we're wanting to use aids, you know, paper and, and stuff to help us remember all the details of these stories. Um, and it's hard for them to be able to duplicate that because all they know is what they hear us say in these stories and so we try to tell them over and over and over so that they can feel comfortable telling these same stories to each other and to people that haven't been to hear our stories that we're telling from the Bible and I thought one of the most impactful um, sessions that we had with um, with the people was on church uh, on Sunday we had um, Charles give his testimony and it was such an impactful time because 
each one of us has our own testimony. It's just what God has done for us in our lives. And so when Charles shared the struggles that he had as a child and the, um, the relationship struggles that he had through his life growing up with his parents and with his um, siblings and, you know, all throughout his life, they didn't realize, and this was said to us afterward, that white people struggled like that. You know, it was, it was just completely out of their mind. We come from, a, from America, which is wealthy and prosperous, and we've got all the amenities, but we've got the same life struggles that they've got there in the village in Mali. And so it was just as impactful for me um, to sit and listen and to experience what Charles was telling us, telling them, to my own self. And so um, my prayer is that we will each realize that we have our story in us. And we don't need to wait until we go to Mali, Africa, or mm-hmm. Haiti, or Mexico to tell that story to somebody else. Because we have a place where we work and we go to school and we, we go to the coffee shops or recreation with other people and, and these things. We've got that story in us, and it's a shame just to hide it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thankful for Charles for having the courage to, to share that testimony. Um, and I thought that was one of the most impactful times for, for the trip. Awesome. Hand the, hand the mic to, to Jessica there. Because, you know, one of the things about giving birth is a, you know, pretty much a scheduled process. But the whole idea of growing a child, you know, give birth in 10 months, 9 months, 10 months. Well, uh, growing a child is 18 years. We're in the process now of doing tons and tons of teaching the faith, transferring the faith. But they're also sharing their life with us. Share us with us about, I guess, one of the experiences y'all had with their life. Um, We were scheduled to have uh, our Sunday morning service on Sunday morning, and we got word early that morning that there was going to be a baby shower and a naming ceremony, and that all the believers from the church was going to be traveling to to the shower. So we all got our stuff together, and we started on the two-mile little walk to the next village for this shower, and along the way we met Fonta and Zay and some different ladies from the village. And the first thing that hit me was how these women and these people from this village stopped their lives and went to invest in another woman's life. They stopped their to-do schedule. They stopped what they had planned. And they went to show love to someone else because she was going through one of the most exciting times of her life. And that was the first thing that really hit me on this experience. And then when we got there, Denise and I went in to hold the baby and see the baby and to greet the mom. And uh, the next thing we know, they said, uh, they want you to name the baby. And we're like, are you serious? I mean, you know, here this mom is, and I'm thinking, she really wants us to name her baby? We're kind of freaking out over that. And (laughs) then the next thing we know, they're like, they want you to take care of the baby. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Uh, So... Then our translator was like, come on, they want you to take care of the baby. And so here Denise and I go, looking crazy already. And the women are trying to stop us. And our translator's like, no, you need to come on. And so we look up, and down the dirt road, they have laid this child on the dirt road. And it's laying there by itself, and the women are leaving it. And it's laying on this trash in the middle of the road. And and I just take off running. I'm, I could. I was just. I had no idea what was going on. But Denise and I just take off running, and and um, it come to find out, part of this baby's name stood for being uh, found on trash. 
And so for that to come true, they went and laid the baby on trash and left it for us to come find it. And therefore, now the baby's name has, you know, true meaning. So here Denise and I are, and um, our translator takes off her head wrap, or not her head wrap, but part of the stuff she has, and we wrap this baby up. And Denise and I are standing there, and we're huddling this baby. And on one side of us is this village, and the men there literally cutting off the head of a chicken spraying its blood around to hoard off evil spirits from this baby. And on this day, God has Denise and I standing in the middle of this dirt road, holding this baby. And as much as it was not mine and it was not hers, we knew we were there for a reason. And we said and we just prayed. I can't tell you how God teaches you a different meaning of prayer when you're in Africa. Because you learn to put your whole self into a prayer. And we prayed for that baby that day. And we knew we were leaving it in hands that may not be godly hands, but we prayed that one day we would see that baby in heaven. And that we would be able to run up and know that that day that God took that baby and made her his. And Denise was actually the one that said, let's give it a biblical name. And we named it Rachel. And um, we went back and explained that we picked Rachel because she was the mother of a very godly man. And then Donnie read a blessing for the baby. And so we were able to take Yesu, to take Jesus into that village that day and give, um, give Rachel a, a beautiful name. And, um, and we just keep praying, praying for her. And I tell you, long after you get back to America and you take these head wraps off, it's things like that that God teaches you that you want to hold on to when you get here. And you want to pray like that when you get here and stand firm in his name. Just to think about that, the parallel of that, to go from being named, found on trash to being named Rachel. That's what happens when God steps in. Are we going to be trailblazers? I don't know how many of my teams here, we're leaving on Thursday. Would you all scoot down that way a little bit? And Daniel, I think we got some back there teaching, all right. Uh, Angela, Doug, if you all come up here. We leave on Thursday. And I know that also Emily and Pete are back teaching. And actually Pete has a prayer ministry that he's praying for the service every in our, in our, in our green room up in the office. You all just line up there. Uh, every service that y'all come to early service, he's up there praying for y'all while you're in here. And Pete Finfrock's going with us as well. We leave. And then also uh, the Browns, would y'all come up? Mike and Vicki Brown, they're going to Thailand this week. And so this is an awesome time to send out two teams this week. They're going, and they're going to be ministering to many of these trailblazers that I speak of. Uh, call them missionaries, if you will, but many of them are trailblazers. And over a thousand different people will be there, missionaries gathering together in Thailand. And they're pharmacists, both of them, and they will be ministering to those who are doing ministry throughout East Asia and throughout that entire area. So we want to, we want to pray for them as well. I've asked Donnie to, to voice our prayer today uh, as our team leaves on Thursday. And when do you all leave, Mike and Vicki? Tuesday morning. What can we pray for you all specifically as you all get ready to head out? Well, Vicki has a neck problem that we need to pray for for the 20 hours on the trip. Mm-hmm. Plus that we can just meet the physical and the spiritual needs of all the missionaries. Just 
this is the only time a lot of them actually get to have a church service and mm-hmm. and get a you know the kids in vacation Bible school in you know the whole year till mm-hmm. next January. Absolutely. So. When we were missionaries, it was the highlight of the 52 weeks out of the year was whenever a team would come over and do that for us, and so that was that was wonderful. Let's everybody here on stage hold hands, and would you all uh, just pray for us as uh, as we pray together now, Donnie? We'll start there. We just come to you now, Father, just lifting your name and glorifying the power that you have, Lord. We just ask that you take these broken vessels here on this uh, platform, Lord, who have given their time and given their money and their energy to, to serve you in this, uh, in this way. I pray, Lord, that you'll take what's given and you'll bless it. You'll multiply that blessing, Lord, and you'll carry your word into the to the deep fields in Mali and to Thailand to minister to those who are already ministering there. We want to thank you, Lord, for those that have already went before us, who have prepared the fields, who have tended, who have um, been working diligently, Lord. We pray that uh, those that are coming behind will continue to work these fields, Lord, and those fruits that are ready for harvest, Lord, we pray that you'll just allow them to take it in, to take that harvest in and and bring these Bring new believers into your family, and Lord, help us to embrace them. I pray especially for the travel, Lord, that uh, all those that are in that uh, long traveling journey from America to their destination, Lord, that you'll give them rest on the plane and give them plenty of energy when they hit the ground, that they can hit the ground running and and start the endeavor. Uh, Maybe even before they get there, Lord, opportunities are going to present themselves on the plane and in the airports and in so many different places. Just help us to open our eyes, Lord, even here in America as our teams are out in the foreign fields. Help us to see the opportunity here that we can we can tell our story to one another, Lord, that we can uh, be, the, be impactful even in our own home and family and, and in the people and the people that we meet every day. We want to just ask your blessing over this travel period, Lord, and especially as we minister to those who have never heard the gospel before. In Christ's name, amen.